Ah, the word of God that engages us today. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 5. For those of you that have your Bibles, uh, you might want to go ahead and pull those out. Uh, We're going to read through uh, this chapter here real quick, and uh, then we're going to jump into the sermon. So I want you to pay attention as we kind of run through the verses, and then I'll go back uh, to verse 1 and get started. So, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first and uh, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions too so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for the younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they will want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things that they ought not to. So... I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who really are in need. This is the word of the Lord. So where do we begin? Where do we start? Let's make sure we're all on the same page. Being the church means that you act, that you live out your faith. You don't just merely come to worship. You don't just hear the word of God and go, oh, well, that was entertaining. I was kept awake. You don't sit there at your watch going, kickoff is 25 minutes away. Is this dude really going to make it? Come on. I know there's a congregational meeting, but for crying out loud, God bless you all, do whatever, okay. I know where some of you are at. But see, being the church is more than that. Being the church is sacrificial. Being the church is not merely listening to God's word, but doing it and putting it into practice. Being the church means you are going to be called on to do a difficult thing in this world, and that is not just love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, but to love your neighbor And who is your neighbor? It's your family. 
It's literally the people that live next to you. It's your coworkers and the people in this room that you worship with. You might not even know them. In fact, just to make sure that we've kind of covered some ground today, would you just turn to the person to your right or to your left uh, and just introduce yourself to them? They may be family. I mean, you may be just introducing yourself to your spouse, but... Yeah, and now some of you have said, ha see, I set off by myself. I don't have to talk to anyone. Now, if you would turn around and talk to the people that are behind you. Introduce yourself. Very good, people on the last row. Very funny. <laughs> if I were a school teacher, I would have made the last row come up to the front, right? That's how that always worked. So see, we're family. Now, whether you realize it or not, this is, this is part of your family. And what God calls us to do is to live out our faith and take care of our families. Now, in this section of scripture, some of you are going, we don't have any widows in my family, so I guess we get to check out. Nope. No, because this is a bigger thing. This is, this is a bigger picture. Yes, specifically, the immediate context is taking care of widows. I get that. But the bigger implication is, is church, are you taking care of the needs of the people around you? Now, a lot of times what happens is this. You see, the church in its history says, well, there are a lot of needy people, so I tell you what we'll do. We'll create a ministry to minister to them. Right? And what happens is, is you kind of get a pass. You say, well, I don't have to minister to the women in our congregation that are hurting because, well, I'm a guy and... I'm not part of women's ministry. So we compartmentalize things, right? We try to say, well, if somebody's gonna make hospital calls, well, that's that person's job. And an elder's job might be over here. And, and the life group, well, it kind of meets together and does Bible studies. And youth group takes care of youth and children take care of children. And, and we, t- we tend to compartmentalize. So much so that the Lutheran church even has a great history of this. They were upset with the education system in the United States. The Lutheran church, Missouri Senate, has the second largest parochial school system in the United States. Second only to the Catholics. Why? Because we, we are, we're great at identifying a need. Hey, this kind of stinks. We need to do it better. And so we, and we make it a church job basically is what we do. Early 18, or late 1800s, Lutheran Hospital up in Denver, it was made. Funds came in from all over the country because there was a cholera outbreak. And they thought that people being at elevation, a little over 5,000 feet, was good. It was a good cure. And so they built a hospital. See, our church has a history of identifying a need and going, now we're gonna put some money towards it and let them take care of them. Do you hear me? Let them take care of them. It's why in the 1950s, the Lutheran Church had one of the largest mission budgets in the United States. We had over 500 missionary stations in the world. Because man, we gotta gotta make sure and send a missionary. And do you know what has happened since the 1950s? The place where we sent the most missionaries, Africa, has 60 
million Lutherans. United States, we got six million. Because <laughs> I'm afraid of what has happened is we get into this historical stance of sending or, or, or paying money or having somebody else do and what we forget to do is to take care of the people right here. Right here. Our own families, our own neighbors, our own coworkers, we're not taking care of them. This is the law that smacks us in the face today. This is what Paul is writing to Timothy. This is why it's a letter to us. Chapter five, verse one. Can we go ahead and see that again, Sarah? Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him. That's verse five. Huh, I don't know how we got there. We're back in chapter four. For those of you, follow along. 5.1, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father and treat young men as brothers. So here's the challenge. I know we were talking about widows, but let's make sure we understand that to, to love our family means to understand roles, means to understand exactly what God expects of us. And so how do we treat the older men? We do not treat them as doddering fools. We do not treat them as somebody that is beyond their prime. We do not simply pass them by, sit them down, or set them out to pasture. No. How do we treat the old men? But we treat them as if they were people to be honored and revered. And for some of you, that's very hard, that's very difficult. You grew up with a, a harsh dad, a harsh father, someone that you probably have very little respect for, and so it's very difficult and challenging to say, I'm still gonna give them honor. Yeah, well, that's what God wants. A humble heart that says, I will revere and honor the older men. Now, the younger men, this is, this is pretty good, right? The younger, treat the younger men as brothers. <laughs> How many of you have brothers? How many of you, when you read that section, you go, I don't know if God really knows what he's talking about there, <laughs> right? <laughs> Some of you are going, I had three brothers. We were always on the ground, <sighs> right? We hashed it out. Is that what God means here? Well, to some degree, yes. You know what, guys? You should treat the men in this congregation, the young men, right? The, the boys even, raise them up how guys should interact with each other a little bit. Now, ladies, I know this may seem foreign to you, but let me give you a little, little heads up here. See, when the guys see each other out in uh, out the parking lot or in the entryway, right? We walk up, we're like, hey, man. We hit them, how you doing, right? And you're just banging on them. You're like, why do you guys do that? I don't, you put somebody in a headlock, right? You know, how you doing, buddy? It's been a long time, right? You don't see two ladies walk up to each other. Hey, sister, how you doing? You know, I mean, you just, normally you don't see that. There's not a lot of hitting, right? It's, hi, how you doing? It's good to see, you know, a hand, you know. You know guys, we're, we're kind of rougher, right? But see, that's how the body should be treating each other, is that we're brothers, that we long to see each other, that we, that we should be built up as the body of Christ as brothers 
who contend, who fight for each other, for each other's families, stand in the gap. I can only pray that you have a brother in Christ that in your greatest hour of need will drop everything and his own family and his job and fly and meet you when needed. I've got a brother like that. It's huge. And there are old men in my life that I count some of my greatest confidants and men filled with wisdom and the knowledge and fear of the Lord. This is what the body of Christ should look like. Because we are called to be family and sometimes families fight. Sometimes they disagree, but I'm telling you, our witness, our witness to the world is huge. It's imperative. It's imperative that they see that family still stays together. Treat the older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters with absolute purity. What I picture there is that we revere the women in our congregation, the young girls all the way up through our elderly women. That we, that we put them on a pedestal, that we honor and exalt their sacrifice, that we honor and exalt their efforts and their love and their prayers and their encouragement and their hugs. That we honor their contributions in the church, around the church, to our community, to their families with purity, which means we keep eyes where they shouldn't be wandering. That means that we, we believe the best in the women in our congregation because I'm telling you, if we will view the women in our congregation that way, we've got a better chance of viewing the women in our community that way and in our world that way. And can you imagine if women were treated well to the honor that is due them because God made them and God loves them. This is the picture we're painting for what the family looks like. Verse three, give proper recognition to the widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. Repaying their parents and grandparents. We owe a debt that we can't, we can't pay. And I know many of you go, man, I, I can't even imagine taking care of a widow, taking care of my mom or taking care of my dad. You don't know my folks. Some of you have even tried. Some of you have put a time and energy and effort into that. And you've come away going, <laughs> we need a separate house, rooms, Maybe states in between us. I'll take care of you with prayer cover from afar. I mean, so we've come up with the hardest thing because we go, it's, it's inconvenient. It costs too much. I don't have enough time. I'm a double, you know, we're a double income household. There's no way we can do this. And we come up with excuse after excuse after excuse. Funny. I'm sure it was probably pretty hard when she fed you all through the night 
comforted you with all your night terrors and bad dreams. The nine months she carried, ate for you, did other things for you. When you were born, changed your diaper a thousand times. Hmm. I bet it was pretty inconvenient for her too. But this is how we're to treat the widow. The widow to be revered, right? Verse five, the widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead while she lives. Here's the, so Paul's after. You see, the widow, the person in need that truly is the person in need recognizes I'm in need and does the best thing, which is get on her knees and say, God, I'm in need and I trust you. The widow that says, well, you know, I was left some money or, you know, I'll figure this out. I'm a hard working person. And the person that does it for their own selfish desires, the person that says, I'm going to go do this on my own. I don't need God. You see, that person, that person is not in a good spot. Same goes for guys. I know plenty of guys that go, I'll provide for my family. I only call God into this when I need him. And we're wrong. Because it doesn't matter whether you're a widow or whether you're still married, uh, whether you're young married, old married, doesn't matter. What we have a tendency to do is the person whose heart is, is moldable, shapeable, and humble, the, the person who says, God, I trust in you for all my daily needs, that's who God honors and exalts. But the person that says, I'm, I've got this, God, only in an emergency will I call you. That, that's not God-pleasing. Verse seven, give the people these instructions too so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, especially his immediate family, he has denied the faith and worse than an unbeliever. You know why? Because Paul recognizes the fact that even unbelievers have a tendency to take care of family. Christians, we don't have a good name. We don't. In all of community, in the majority, we don't have a good name. We have a tendency to be very selfish, prosperous Christians in the northern hemisphere. Whereas Christians from other places and around the world have a tendency to be known that even what they barely have, they give away. We have a tendency to give out of abundance. The rest of the world's Christians give, give out a blessing to God. Barely anything that they have. That's the story of the widow and her might. She gave everything. I mean, I'm amazed, right? We get into the end of tax season and we write, oh, I gave X, Y, Z to the church this year. Whew, good thing I get a tax deduction on that. How is that a heart of generosity? Would you still give the same amount if you didn't get a tax deduction? See, what we have a tendency to do is take care of ourselves, And that's why Paul has written this part to Timothy because he knows human nature. Human nature is take care of yourself, take care of your own. And Paul's saying, no, we give, we reach out, we share with the resources that we have. And yes, it's gonna be hard. Yes, it's difficult. That's a burden. 
It is. Verse 11, as for the younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Now, let me explain this. We were made to be in relationship. It is only the very few who have been given the ability to be alone most of their life. Very few people. We've been made to be together. And so you know what? The young widow that loses her husband, Paul says, let her marry. Encourage her to marry. Why? Because that's kind of, we were made to be with people and to have families and children and do life together. Let her marry. You see, they were living under an opposition in the law in the early church. Said, nope, she was married once, her husband died, that's it, it's over. Well, in that community, she didn't have a way of providing for herself. Paul's going, that's silly. Let her go get married. Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. What is their first pledge? But to Jesus. The first pledge is what they're going to have a tendency to do if you don't let them marry is they're going to break the first pledge to Jesus. They're going to quit being believers and they're going to go do whatever they want to do because they're living under the oppression of the law. And Paul says, don't do that. Give them grace. Besides, they get in the habit of being idle, going house to house. Not only do they become idlers, but also gossips, busybodies, saying things they ought not to. Ladies, does this ever happen? You are the ones that are laughing, because all the men were like, this is not a laughing. Do not respond to this one at all. You just sit there and let them respond. I'm not a sociologist, ladies, but I gotta say, I see it sometimes. You get a group of people together and you just start kibitzing. You start bringing up what's wrong and you feed off of each other. And before you know it, here comes the sorry husband joke. Well, you think your husband's bad. Then it becomes a contest. <laughs> Ladies, it can't be like this. It can't be like this. To be a part of the body, the family, right? means to lift up your husbands in due time as well. It means to not be idlers and not be gossipy and not be sharing things that shouldn't be shared. This is the time, ladies, for you to exalt your husbands as well. So I counsel younger widows to marry, have children, manage your homes, give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Basically, he's saying, hey, ladies, you want to be in relationship with someone? Go be in relationship. Go get married. Go do it. Go do your heart's desire. And if it's working outside the home, do that, do that with great love and joy. Get support from your family. Marry, right? If any woman, 16, who is a believer, has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them. What Paul's getting to here is helping understand that when you take care of your families, then you do a God-pleasing thing. It's not that the church can't or the church won't, but especially Family of Christ, I recognized a long time back that what our church has a unique opportunity to do is to release our members to do life together. Because a lot of churches say, hey, just come on Sunday, and as long as you're happy on Sunday, our church is good. But you see, I'm not happy with that. 
I honestly believe that the family here at Family of Christ should be sent from this place and to put into action what we hear, which means you take care of each other, which means you do life together, you pray together, which means you study God's word together, it means you cry together, and some of you are going, that's why I don't get in a life group, I don't want any crying. Well, get over it. That's life. And life's full of crying. And life's full of pain. And and life's full of suffering. And, And life is full of things that come out of nowhere. And if you don't have somebody to support you, well, it's the pastor's job. He's supposed to call me and pray with me. No! It's the body of Christ's job. And if we're not reaching out, then we're not doing our job. And it's no wonder that the world goes, (laughs) they go to church, I know they do, but they don't care for anybody. They don't put anything that they study into action. Heck, I hear more about Mormons doing great stuff than I do family of Christ. I do. I hear more about unbelievers being more philanthropic. In the 1950s, giving rates Almost 85% went to churches. In the 80s, it began to change. And just five years ago, do you know that charitable giving is up compared to 1950? But it's dropped from 85% to churches to under 30% to churches. My guess is because the world says the church isn't doing what it preaches. And that's on us as families. I want to paint you a picture this morning of what family looks like in our community. A young couple got married 30 years ago. No almost 40 years ago. The first couple years of their marriage, they decided to become foster parents, and those foster parents took a case, a kid, who was about three years old. Parents had been on drugs, severely mentally challenged. I mean, literally, I mean, he just didn't have all the neurons firing in the same places. Physically, outwardly looked fine. His family took this boy in and they loved him and they nourished him and they loved on him and they guarded him and they protected him and and the little boy, he was in and out of trouble and detention and he skipped school and it just was a nightmare. Gets out of high school And over the next 15 years, he spends the majority, almost all of it, but six months in and out of state, local, and federal prisons. Alcoholic, drug addict, dealer, predator. A little boy, he got married two years ago. His family said it was the most joyful and happy they'd ever seen him. Three weeks ago, 
three weeks ago after leaving his wife and child over the summer. He was sitting in a car showing a friend his gun, letting the friend know he could protect. Being all macho and bravado. And he stuck that gun down in his waistband and when he did, he accidentally pulled the trigger. And he shot his femoral artery and he was dead 30 seconds later. Family got word they were off on vacation. They hadn't seen their son in over a year. He had had nothing to do with them. He had cut all ties. He had said, I want nothing more to do with you. I hate you. And yesterday at 11 o'clock, we did a funeral. Mom and dad, brother, sister, married their children. Wife, two-year-old son, sister, mom, dad. Eight grandchildren running around for the entire service. Balls in the air. I mean, literally, I'm not over-exaggerating. Yelling, screaming, da-da-da-da. Parents, we're so sorry. I said, let's just go. Let's just go with it. And I started that funeral service the same way I always do. which is to remind the people that are sitting there that it is not about your resume. It is not about all the bad and the junk in your life. It is not where you have come from. It is not where your name is. It is not all the, all the bad stuff you've done and all the good stuff you didn't do. It is not about any of those things. It is about the fact that Charles Reed was baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of his funeral, there's a picture of him and his two-year-old came up and said, Dada, And mom said, his dad was baptized, can he be baptized? And I took that water and I knelt in front of this two-year-old boy and I said, Chance Reed, you are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, Reeds loved an unlovable little boy because Scripture says, take care of them, even though it's hard. And who knows? 
but that your obedience to scripture one day will mean that one more person is in the kingdom of God. Amen. And now may this word of the Lord truly strengthen our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until his return to take us home. Amen.